it's time to sit down and interview what some people in the entertainment business do. So sit back and relax, and you will see there's so many talented people on understudy. Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome to the first ever episode of Understudied. I'm your host, Keen Larkin. A bit about me, I am very awkward when it comes to talking about myself. I've actually done about 50 takes of this intro to get it right because I keep stuttering or I keep messing up and getting tongue-tied anytime I have to talk about myself. But here we go, let's try again. So I am an Irish actor. I studied in Cork City when I was uh, young. I then moved to Dublin, where I'm actually originally from, trained there for a while, went there and toured around Ireland with a, uh, with a Shakespeare rep company. I, I performed in Romeo and Juliet and The Merchant of Venice and a few other plays and a few short movies while I was in Ireland. And then I had the pleasure of actually moving over to Los Angeles to study in the Stella Adler Academy of Acting and, and Theatre. Now that was like a lifelong goal of mine to go to because I, I really loved all of the Stella Adler actors. I, I came up watching them and admiring them. Actors like, you know, Marlon Brando, Robert De Niro, uh, Ruffalo, Benicio Del Toro, all of these guys studied under Stella. And when I was when I was first studying, we, we learned about Brando and I was like, man, I want to go to the Stella Adler Academy and I want to learn there. And I, I got the opportunity to go and I was so blessed and I'm so grateful that I went. And that partly actually inspired this podcast because... I'm always interested in learning other uh, acting techniques and, and, and different art forms and I decided I wanted to make a podcast about different techniques, you know. You know, I'll bring someone in to talk about the Meisner technique, I'll bring someone to talk about the Strasbourg technique, I'll bring someone to talk about the Adler technique and then I thought to myself, you know what, Keen, if you're just going to talk about acting techniques, you're going to have a very short podcast, maybe three or four episodes. Um, so I decided then to to do a podcast about the arts in general, to delve deep into the mind of the artist, to find out what makes them tick, to, to talk about the ups and the downs, the highs and the lows, why they do what they do, what inspires them to create. Because I believe that everyone in the world is an artist. We naturally want to create, whether you journal, whether you paint, whether you color, whether you write, whether you dance, whether you sing, everyone creates and and my my definition of an artist is someone that expresses themselves by creating and that's what i want to talk about i want to i want to get people on from all different walks of life whether they're dancers singers writers producers directors dops actors i want to interview everybody i want to figure out why we do what we do and why the arts is important in the world right now. And a lot of times the uh, the art community can seem or be perceived as being a very closed off community and it's quite clicky or it's hard to understand or a lot of times the arts are misunderstood. So I want to bring a lot of stuff to light and show you the struggles of the artist and the highs of the artist. So this is really what the podcast is about. The reason I chose the name Understudied is because it's a play on the word of understudy. And understudy is an actor who 
is on standby for another actor in the theatre in case he gets sick. So if, another, if the lead actor gets sick, he has an understudy to go on instead of him. So I thought it was a nice play on awards. An understudy to be studied. Without further ado, let me introduce to you my first guest. My first guest is a dear, dear friend of mine. We shot a movie together and after that we became really, really close. We've helped each other with our auditions and our self-tapes and we've really learned a lot from each other. So I, I, I now have the pleasure of calling him my friend and my mentor. His name is Mark Arnold. And for those of you who do not know who Mark Arnold is, please go and check him out. He was in movies like Teen Wolf. If you haven't seen Teen Wolf, go and watch it. It's one of the great cult classics of its time. Um, it's brilliant. He was in this, the Snyder's Cut of, of the Justice League. He's been in Angel Has Fallen, the second Blade Runner, and lots of lots of big movies and TV. So he has such great insight of the acting industry, and he has just such great in, uh, great outlooks of life. And it was a real pleasure to get to talk to him, get to learn from him. So I hope you really enjoy this podcast. If you like the podcast, let us know. If you don't like it, let us know. We are on Instagram. Our Instagram is understudied underscore podcast. So drop us a DM. Tell me, hey, Keen, I really love the podcast. Or, hey, Keen, you're really shit and you should never podcast again. Whatever you want to tell us, uh, we'd love to hear from you. And if you want to, if you're interested in hearing from a certain artist or a certain art form, let me know. I'll have a look at it and I'll try and see if I can make it happen. But guys, I hope you enjoy this this episode and thank you for tuning in there's so many talented people on understudy well this is uh understudied podcast and what we're doing on this podcast is talking about art what it is why we love it and what we do and today i have the incredible mark arnold mark do you want to give yourself a little introduction tell the people about yourself uh um, Don't be modest. <laughs> uh, I was born in Philadelphia and went to school in uh, Boston University to theater school, and then went to New York and started my acting career in New York. And how, how did you start it? Did you start with theater or film? Well, I studied theater. So when I was, I went to Boston University, and Boston University was a member of the uh, 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 League of. Uh, arts or something they, they they had a group of of um universities that that all were together i forget the name of it and we had an audition a group audition in new york city uh my senior year in college and we had prepared for this the whole class and um i wound up getting an enormous amount of um response from everybody that you would ever want in a room in new york city all the agents were there wow and I wound up doing, I think, something from Hamlet. Mm. Um, and I and and I had an, a lot of requests afterwards for um, uh, meetings, and uh, I got my first agent that way. And um, I didn't. I, I, I don't know that I quite realized the impact of it, and you know. <laughs> um, but, uh, and then I started to, I moved back, I went back to Boston and I was commuting down from Boston every once in a while to audition. How long is the commute from Boston to New York? Oh, I don't even remember now. It's a couple hours though, you know, right, right. so, um, on the train. So, um, I think I landed my first job, uh, two weeks before I graduated college. Oh, I got okay. a TV movie. 
um, starring um, Warren Oates. And I don't know if you know Warren. Warren was a great actor. He was um, Warren Oates and Eileen Brennan and um, Christy McNichol, who was a huge star then on TV. Right. And uh, it was a, an old Hemingway um, Hemingway short story called My Old Man. And it was rewritten for, for her. And she, she played Warren Oates' uh, uh, daughter. Warren Oates was a Peckinpah actor. Peckinpah. He was a great director. Um, did the Wild Bunch. I right. mean, he he was it was really gritty, brutal stuff. And you should you should treat yourself to some of his movies. I oh, mean, that's he was on tonight. Um, rather extraordinary. And and Warren was kind of one of his go-to actors. Right. He had a great uh, old sort of crusty face, and I, I think he he I remember him saying that he achieved. Um, kind of uh, stardom later in life. So he w he was, it was real interesting. And it was, we shot in Saratoga Springs, New York. Um, and Saratoga Springs has the Saratoga racetrack. Right. And this was about horse racing. So um, okay. it was, it was really a, a very heady experience. And I, you know, and I, I was quite intimidated by it. And I was playing Christie's boyfriend, a very preppy boyfriend. And um, it was trial by fire, you know, so... Oh. Um, I thought it was always going to be easy. I mean, it's <laughs> I was a, wrong. It's quite a prestigious start, though, doing something from Hemingway, right? I mean, when you have something that has beautiful writing. Well, it was. I mean, it was a script that was adapted from a short story, right. so it wasn't like we were doing yeah. um, okay. the Hemingway, you know, story necessarily. Yeah. Um, but it was. It was. Um, you know, it was a great learning experience, and. Um, uh, I moved down to New York City, I don't know, uh, I, I did that in the summer, I don't remember what year it was, um, I want to say 79, and um, then I went back to, I went back to Boston and then eventually moved down to New York and started right. started my professional career. Wow, yeah. and you said like about your first agent, well, for, for actors, a lot of, especially a lot of young actors, you know, people just get the first agent that, that comes their way. Sure. And... So when we're talking about agents, what do you think is like, when you say your first agent, do you, do you automatically think that first agents are there, but you're going to get, you know, you're going to depart from them at some point in your career? Or do you ever think that there's an agent that's right for you and you, you stick with them? Well, someone once said to me very early in my career that uh, your relationship with an agent is like a series of bad marriages. <laughs> Because the reason I got so much attention when I was young, I think, was because I had a little bit of talent. It was re really raw. It still feels raw. But, um, you know, it, I, was, I was young and, and fairly good looking. So um, even though it didn't feel that way, I mean, I mean as I look back, I mean, that, that, that's really what it was. And, and, and I think with agents... They're taking a flyer on you. I mean, you know, they, they don't really know. So they're going to collect as many people as they can, and they're going to throw everything against the wall and see what sticks. Right. So if I had really climbed uh, a steep path, you know, it could have been really, you know, nice. Like, you know, somebody like Matt Dillon, when he was young, I mean, he, he, he became a star on something like his second film, and he mm. wrote a, a career on that for a while. And and um, for a long time, and there are a number of actors who hit it really young, yeah. and um, 
and then like everybody, I mean, it, it's hard to sustain a career. Um, so, you know, the very few who do it at the very, very top are, are not only gifted, or, but, but they can also just have something that really sells well. Yeah. You know, you don't necessarily have to be a great actor to do that. So to answer your question about agents, I, I, I mean, um, I've gone uh, stretches where I didn't have an agent and it's it's really barren out there. You right. know? So um, and even here, when I when I moved to London, um, I had one agent and um, I now have a second agent and they found me out of the blue. Uh, oh. You know, I think I filled a particular niche in their portfolio. Right. Um, because I went from being a, minor, a majority actor in America, being sort of a white male yeah. um, at the time. And I mean, I still am, but I mean, at that time, that was the primary thing. And um, here I'm a, I'm a, a, a minority actor. Right. And... Is there a lot of chances then here uh, when you when you moved here for an American for roles in, in English movies and, and TV? Yes and no. I you know, I, I think the thing that that I'm more aware of is that I get I get opportunities to do bigger films, smaller parts in bigger films here, like American films that come over. Right. Okay. Um Someone said to me when I first moved here that don't, he said, "Don't even bother learning an English accent; they won't hire you." Yeah. Now, I, now I, I don't know if that's true. I don't think that that's totally true, but um, you know, you're, you're you're fighting a different battle here um, right. as a as an American actor. You know, it, um, you're you're going to. It's like the as trying to think how to say this. British actors, if they're doing Tennessee Williams on broad uh, on in the West End, they're practicing their American accents and they're and they're biting into very meaty roles. And most American actors would who live here would be asked to understudy, right? Um, which is fine. It's I mean it's a fine gig, but uh, it's a hard gig understudying. Yeah. I've only done it twice in my life. But what did you understudy on? I under the first time I understudied was it in Los Angeles. <gasps> Um, at the Mark Taper Forum. And the reason I did it was because I wanted to be in the Mark Taper Forum. Right. And uh, it was for a, a, a Shanley play. I forget the name of it now. Um, I never went on. Um, came very, very close. Uh, was, in, was in my costumes, act actually, when the actor showed up. Um, wow. Yeah. And the, and the only other time I did it was here. I, I understudied Nathan Lane in uh, Angels in America. Oh, wow, yeah. So the reason I did that was because that play, that part, I understudied Roy Cohn right. to play Roy yeah. Cohn, and that theater. And I didn't think that I that a kid from Broomall, Pennsylvania, would ever be standing in the National Theater. Well, it must be very um, awing, jaw job dropping to be able to be in that position. Well, it is. I mean, it and it and it was a huge hit. I mean, it was sold out. In the second day was or first or second day. Yeah, and it it it's it's one of the most extraordinary plays I've. It may be the most extraordinary play I've ever read. I mean, and and the the great thing just from an acting standpoint was that I I got to see what was inside that play and how demanding it was 
and right. even though I, and I didn't get to go on there. You either. never went on. No, um, but but you know I'm understanding Nathan Lane. I never. I, I think it's if you're going to do that kind of work, um, and I, and like I said, I don't make a practice of it. But if you do, I think it's toxic to want to get on stage. Right. Because it'll eat you alive. Because then what happens is that it's an it's a human instinct to look at the person who's doing it and somehow wish them ill will or yeah. or, or that you're going to get an opportunity right. to go on. And I think that that's very toxic. Right. So I would come in every day and, and do preparation that I would do uh, if I were going on. So what's the rehearsal process like that? If you're an understudy, do you rehearse the same amount of hours? Do you? Well, no. Now, I can only speak from my, my, my two experiences um, doing it. When I was working at the taper, um, I was invited to come in and watch the re some rehearsals, not from the beginning, but I think in the, in the third and fourth week. And I got all the blocking, and I wrote down the blocking, mm -hmm. and I was able to watch them work. Angels in America, because it's two plays, yeah. rehearsed for three months. Right. We weren't invited in until I think the last month and a half or maybe month. And even then, the very first time we were invited in, before they even started, we were invited out. Right. Um, for whatever reason. Someone was feeling too insecure or whatever. Right. And um, also, it was not... It was done in small chunks at, at the National, so that um, because of the way the play is structured, um, and, and oftentimes the, when, when the director was giving notes, she would talk to the, the main actors very quietly at a table, and we couldn't hear what they were saying. Right. So I was never really privy to the decisions and why they were made and the, the artistic decisions. So, then it becomes a different challenge, and, and we were rehearsed catch as catch can. And, it was, and I think it was just in a unique situation. And what I mean by that in catch as catch can, um, we, we, would, we would rehearse sometimes. There were two assistant directors, and we would rehearse um, sometimes in the dressing room. Right. But you're, it's hard to prepare for a stage of that size. In, in, in that kind of a small space. And then if you, I remember one time I rehearsed a, a particular scene one day and then the following week I, with one, one uh, uh, assistant director, and then the second assistant director came in and wanted me to rehearse the same scene the following week, but she gave me totally different direction. So it was very confusing. Right. And I, and I don't fault her. I mean, I think, you know, I, I think it was just kind of the nature of the situation. Okay. Uh, it was very challenging. Um, and it was not what I'm used to doing when I've done plays. It's not the way I'm used to working. Yeah. So um, you, just, you, you just kind of find your way. Right. But it's hard because I'm sure you have to basically stick with all the choices that the other actors have. Well, you know, that's interesting, I, you know, because I was really, I, I was questioning that because, because I remember asking one uh, assistant director, I, was, I said, um, do you, do you want me to do what Nathan's doing? Because if you do, then I'm, I'm not, I, there are certain things that Nathan does that are specific to him. That is his bread and butter kind of 
performance. Right. And it, and it, so actually I was encouraged or allowed to find my own way, which is more the way Al Pacino played it. Oh, okay. If okay. you've ever seen the, the yeah. Mike Nichols version. Um, Nathan was terrific in, in doing what Nathan does well. You know, he was extremely funny, and, and if you know the play, there's a, there's a part where he plays the fop, and he was hysterical in it. Right. Um, but it's not the path I would have taken had I done the role. Yeah. Uh, so I think that w w what would have happened is I would have played it the way I played it if I were asked to go on. Yeah. It would just be a different take on it. It's the beauty of theatre, though, isn't it? It can be different every night, and, yeah. and, and every every artist, every actor yeah. contributes something totally different. So you grew up in Philly. I grew up in Philadelphia. Went to school did in you Boston. Yeah. Always want to be an actor. I did. And Since I, you were a kid. Well, yeah, because I I, I did my first play uh, in first grade. Right. And What's first grade here? Because I'm, I'm from Ireland, so yeah. we don't we have. Like I don't first know. Six classes. years old. It was okay. Okay, so you have one through six grades, and right. then you go to middle school. I went to a, a private Quaker school, or what you would call a public school. Right. I went to a, a private Quaker school in Philadelphia, and um, I, I remember doing a play in the. I did plays all the way through, and the headmaster of my high school had gotten his doctorate in Shakespearean literature at Stratford here. Wow. He had gone to school with Alan Bates and Albert Finney. And he was an American, and so he. I wound up doing um, two Shakespeare plays before I graduated high school. I did um, probably very badly, but I, 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 I uh, undoubtedly so. But I, I, I did. Uh, I played Oberon uh, in Midsummer Night's Dream, and I played um, Iago. Wow! Uh, before I graduated high school, so when I when I decided when my parents and I were well. Back up a step. My parents were the first children in their families to go to university. Right. So getting a university college education was very important to them. So when it came time for me to apply to colleges, um, I, I asked a simple question, what do I like to do? And that's the thing I had most fun doing, was doing plays. So my, my mother and Father said, "You can go study theater, but you need to get a, a, a university. Uh, uh, you, you need to graduate. You need to get a degree." Right. And so I wound up going to Boston University, which was a very good school. But I, but I couldn't. I wasn't allowed, for instance, to um, to apply to Juilliard, which was like the premier the biggest school. Yeah. Um, and I probably wouldn't have gotten in anyway. Right. So. But but that's because it was just solely kind of arts. And not academic. Well, because it's a conservatory, right. so you don't get you don't either, get, a, you don't get a, a, a. I mean, within the within the community of acting in the arts, it would, it's considered it's just huge. Of course, yeah. But if I ever decided to give that up, acting up, then I would be behind the eight ball. I think the way my parents thought was, I would be behind the eight ball, right? And I would have less opportunities. Yeah. Did you ever want to quit in your career? Oh yeah. 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 Several times. Yesterday. <laughs> yeah. No, no, seriously. I there yes. And there was a there was a very tough time in my life in California when I wasn't getting any work and I didn't have any representation and I was I was a mess. 
And I realized that being an actor is, being a professional actor, is in many ways living in active denial. Okay. Because, first of all, it's not your, you, it's not in your control to be hired. Mm. I mean, all you can do is do your best, but, um, you know, it, at least back then, I mean, people now are, you know, doing podcasts and they're creating their own work and, and you know, and, and that's all great. But um, the active denial part of it is that you know, at any given moment in, in the unions, I, I think in SAG, you know, less than 5% of the people are working. I think it's more like 3% hmm. of all actors are working at any given moment. So you have to believe somewhere that you belong in that 3%. Yeah. And that, um, and that's what the active denial is, is, is that you think somehow either you're special or you're driven to to make that work. And so there are times then it, it feels like everything is up against you. And mm -hmm. in, in, I think in everybody's career. Yeah. I mean, you, you can name, uh, you know, in Los Angeles, and you spent time in Los Angeles. Yeah. You, I mean, you can't throw a rock without hitting somebody who used to be a, a, a series regular. Yeah. You know, it doesn't mean that they're still working. Somebody may be hot for six years. Yeah. Boom, gone. Or, or there's actors you, you don't you haven't seen in years and all of a sudden they pop up and it doesn't mean that they're not working, but they they went from being extremely mainstream and hot to something yeah you know something it's else quite cutthroat cutthroat in um in Los Angeles right it's like yeah. what product are you right now and then now you're not hot maybe in a few years you'll come back and and, and you'll be good but well yeah I, you know it it's. I guess cutthroat's the right word. I, I think the priorities are off right. in, in Los way? Angeles. Well, I mean, I, I, part, part of me thinks that it's spiritually sick, Los Angeles. I mean, Los Angeles is a factory town. Yeah. They make movies. They make TV. You know, Detroit used to make cars, you know, um... That was a factory town. So everybody's trying to get in it and trying to make the quick buck. Or, you know, there's that old saying in Hollywood, you can't make a living, but you can make a killing. Yeah. And everyone's trying to make that killing. And everybody's on the make. Mm. And every, and you know, every waiter is an actor. And every, yeah. you know, um, they're all over, or a writer, and they're all over the place. Uh, and, and people, I, I think what I mean about the priorities being off is that I think that Yeah, it's just that people look at you as a commodity, and mm. and and what what you are as a human being doesn't matter, right? Um, and uh, I can remember early on in my career going to meet up with an assistant at my agency, and I wanted to talk about my career or something, or I wanted to talk about what I needed to do, and you know, the very first thing out of her mouth was, oh, I, I got I got tickets for Madonna." this week or whatever and, and that was the important thing yeah you know because an agent's power ultimately is is driven by the success of his or her clients right right so um and and i and i've gotten treated brutally at times by agents really rude stuff yeah and um it it 
it's important not to take it personally, but on the other hand, it's hard not to because you, you sit there and you go, I, I'm just trying to make my way. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, it's, uh, it's not easy. And it's not easy to meet people with integrity or, you know, they'll, they'll throw you under the bus real yeah. quick. But that's the nature of the business, you know. Do, do you think that's, that's inherently in Los Angeles or do you think you have that in, in the industry in London or the industry in other places? I think London views actors differently. Mm, okay. With more, in, with more respect. Yeah. Do you think that's because of like the training that they have or maybe there's not as much as them? Like, like you go to LA, everyone's an actor. Everyone. Yeah, the difference though here is that that this is where Shakespeare made his mark. Right. And in L.A., anybody can be an actor. Mm. You don't have to have training. Yeah. And there are a lot of actors who don't. I taught briefly in L.A. Uh, for about two years or something. I taught acting on the side at, at a particular um, uh, like small school. Yeah. And... Um, Nobody, they, they, the actors didn't know anything. They, 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 they had absolutely, no, you know, they're, yeah. they're like, you know, people getting off the bus every day to make it, but they can be become a star. They yeah. can. I would say, like, uh, from living in L.A. coming here, I would say, like, the difference between L.A. is, like, you go into an audition room in L.A. and you have maybe 20% of people that are well-trained actors, right? Mm -hmm. And you come here and maybe 80% of those people are well-trained actors. Mm -hmm. And I think, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's like you said, anyone can be a star but there isn't that training there. But it's so funny because you have such great schools in America, right? You mm -hmm. have such great schools. Mm -hmm. And do you think, you know, going to these great schools is beneficial? Because, like you say, you go to Juilliard, you pay so much money, so much dedication. How many, like, people in Juilliard, what's the percentage of Juilliard, you know, class that, that are consistently working? I don't know. Because I, I didn't go there. Um, a lot, though. I mean, they're, right. they're, and they're going to get um, instant um, I instant access having just come from Juilliard because it's a name, right? Right. It you don't as an agent you don't have to know any anything about acting, but you've heard of Juilliard, right? So you go, oh yeah, oh Juilliard. You went to Juilliard. Don't know quite what they're going to do with it, but yeah. Um, it's another I, thing that they can sell, right? Of course. Juilliard. Oh, okay, yeah. I can sell that. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter whether you went to Juilliard or not, if, you, if your opening you know, weekend is, is, is a great gross. Right. You know? I mean, that's the thing that's ultimately going to talk. Yeah. So you, you've done some uh, great body of work, and one of your most notable things, right, I'm sure you get it a lot, is Teen Wolf. Yeah. How was that? Doing it? The, yeah, the whole process. I mean, like, how did this role land? Was it, like, a bigger thing than what you were doing? Or was it kind of gradually growing up? Because when I watched it as a kid, mm -hmm. it was a huge success, right? Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm watching it as a kid. I'm like, wow, cult classic. But what was the, before that, what was the, what was happening? Well, my agent called me and said, I've got an audition for you. I said, what is it? And they go, it's for a film called Teen Wolf. And I went inside, I was just going, ugh. <laughs> because all I could think of was, was I was a teenage werewolf, which was a, a kind of a an oddball yeah. film in the fifties or early sixties. So I read the script, and the script was better than the title. And I went into audition. When I got the job, and Michael Michael Fox was there for the callback, so uh, or recall, as you'd say here. 
and um, I would say he had a great hand in, in hiring me, and I really appreciated that. Uh, we did the movie, and I thought that the movie was better than the script. Wow. And, okay. um, but it, I, you know, I know, how do I say this? It got, you know, had a couple of lucky breaks, Teen Wolf, because while Michael was filming Teen Wolf, in the, he was doing it on hiatus. He was a big TV star then, right? Um, family ties. So he, in the last week, if I remember correctly, and I could be wrong, but if I remember correctly, in the last week of the film, Eric Stoltz got fired from Back to the Future. He was the original actor in that. Wow, okay. And Michael, they hired Michael. And Michael was doing both films in that last week of doing Teen Wolf. And he apparently was sleeping. If, I think he told me he was sleeping in the, in the limo going back and forth. And the producers of Teen Wolf were very wise because they, uh, and very savvy, because what they did was they, they, no one knew what Back to the Future was going to be. They just knew it was Universal and, right. it, was, and it was Robert Zemeckis. So they waited to release the film, Teen Wolf. And so Back to the Future opened and was, of course, a huge success. Yes. And a month later, Teen Wolf came out. That's amazing marketing. And it, and it made something like $70 million in box office. But that's not the end of it. The thing that made Teen Wolf, I think, ultimately survive the way it has is because... In the early days of cable TV, there was a TV station called T, uh, T Turner Broadcasting, right. right, out of Atlanta. They ran Teen Wolf all the time. Uh, you know, it was always on cable. Yeah. It was always running. And um, it, is, it has garnered a lot of um, eyeballs because of that. And, and my wife works for a... Um, a company here where she's head of acquisitions for a couple of uh, channels here. And she says it plays well all the time. It mm. always plays well. Now it's been edited a bit because there's some stuff that didn't, yeah. you know, yeah. it's not yeah. quite politically correct now. I actually watched it uh, earlier. And I remember when we were on set, you were talking about mm -hmm. that, that how things won't fly in certain stuff. But uh, I can see why, you know, the, there's a lot of stuff back then that we could never get away with now. Well, no, and because humor changes and also, you know, political correctness and, and, and adjustments are made, yeah. and, 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 and rightly so. Mm -hmm. um, but that's just the nature of that, just like, you know, there are a lot of films that were made in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, you know, that, that were not uh, politically correct either. Yeah. So, so, but Teen Wolf was, um, they, what what's kind of, I went to go see the, I guess, the 20th anniversary here uh, in London. There was a screening at Backyard Cinema. And um, I was told that it was happening. And um, I decided to go because I hadn't seen the film in a long time. And I, I could take my wife and um, we could watch it together. And I invited a bunch of friends so you could, you know, take the piss out of me. And... <laughs> and um, so we sat outside and we watched it and I, I kind of watched it again with fresh eyes and you know it, it it's a coming of age film so so yeah. it hits people if you see it at the right moment in your life it's impactful yeah because you know the, and you know why so that's why the success has, has happened and and you know you can 
no one ever expected it. No one, no one could have predicted it. Yeah. Um, there, there are a lot better films out there, but it, for some reason, this has has done well, and and it's been very kind to me as well. So, so after that, then what happened? Because it was such a huge success. After the film happened, did you have a lot of people calling? Or? I had an agent who tried to poach me from my the agency I was with, and I stayed loyal with my agent. I probably should have gone with the other guy. <laughs> um, I, 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 no, there wasn't, because I, I don't... I, mean, I, I No, I don't remember being an awful lot of activity, right. you know, because I, you know, it was a teen film, you know, and it wasn't... Um, uh, by what's his name? You know, he did Home Alone and, and all those. Macaulay Culkin. No, not the director. The oh, writer the director. Um, you know, who had a series of like Sixteen Candles and all that kind of stuff. There was, yeah. You know, there, there was a slew of those movies. Right. Um, coming out. So, uh, no, it it I, I thought it might, and it just didn't. Yeah. You know, and uh, because I was reading up on another interview you did, and you were working on um uh, Santa Barbara. Yeah. Right at the time, and then. You said uh, they asked you back, right, for a bit, and you said no because you wanted to be free, right? For or maybe I'm, I'm rephrasing no, that, right. but um, that's a bold move, right? That's a brave move from you to do that, and I think a lot of actors would be would want to know how how and when to say no, right? Because when you're an actor, you get offered a part and you want to do it. Anything, especially when you're a young actor coming out of film school or yeah. uh, acting school, and anything you get. Yes, uh, agent really bad. Yes, yeah. so do you have any insight when to say no? I want to say yes. No, it's a gut thing, and, and the thing about Santa Barbara was that I I never really wanted to do soaps, right? Um, and I I fell into doing soaps, and in when I was in New York, and I I, I didn't like the medium, and I didn't like the storytelling of it. Okay, um, because. Doing a soap opera is not about acting necessarily. It's about it's more about time management and memorization. Right. And so you're spending all your time learning. You're doing five hours of programming a a week. Yeah. And you have to work really really fast. And also, the the the, the way, at least then they dealt with soaps is that even a, they, the people who ran it, the producers and, and the networks said that even the best of fans only see it two and a half times a week. So you, that's why you're repeating stuff all the time. You may do the same scene three times in three different ways, right. you know, so that you can keep people go, go, coming along. And, and, and there are a lot of stuff that uh, the storylines are very thin. Hmm. And I had gone to theater school, so I, was, I had more of an idea of wanting to do that. So it was, it was, in a way, it was easy for me to say no to Santa Barbara. I, don't, I, was only the, I came in as a replacement of an actor. Right. And um, I was, they were at a crossroads where the, you know, whether they were going to kill me off or, you know, if, if I said yes, they would have, you know, I would have survived. And uh, I, it just seemed like the right move. It was a gut reaction. And maybe it was stupid. I don't know. You just never know. But you got to, you got to have the strength of your convictions and, and be able to live with the consequences. And the consequences were, you know, not necessarily easy. Yeah. You know, because I, I, you know, I was fishing for work. Mm. I think that's a great thing, though, to to talk about, you know, consequences and and your gut reaction and, you know, being true to yourself, especially as an artist, right? And one thing I did want to ask is, what's your definition of an artist? 
Well, I, you know, I've never really thought about that. Um, Good. Put you on your toes there. Well, you do. Um, I think it's the way you approach your work. I mean, you're you're creating something, and I, you know, there there are different kinds of artists that I admire for different reasons. Um, you know, a actors are interpretive artists. You know, because you're not writing the material usually. Yeah. So what you're doing is you're being asked to inhabit something. Yeah. And you're usually the last one to come aboard. So the... You, but, but I do think that there's a... That what we do is undervalued. Mm. Um, I don't think people know how hard it is. Yeah. It's really, really hard. Yeah. Anytime I talk to my friends about it, a lot of times people are so enamored and about just being able to learn the lines. It's like, oh my God, you learned those lines. That's the least of the, the lines are the easy part, you know, it's everything else that comes on, all the yeah. other convictions. Yeah. And that leads me into my other question about it is, is what do you think your the, the responsibility is of the artist or of the actor is on a set, on a film, on a play? To tell the story the best way you can. I mean, it, 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 at the end of the day, um, I have a huge amount of respect for writers. Always have. Um, and I've written some myself, so I, I understand the difficulty of staring at a blank page mm. and coming up with an idea or just feeling a need to write. Yeah. I think my re in, in doing a play, it's my responsibility... <clears throat> If you're doing a lead in a play, it's your responsibility to drive that play because you're on the most, right. right? So you know how that story needs to be told. Yeah. I've done plays, for instance, where I've been a leading actor in it, and it's been like loose. Like, it, you know, people, if they've been doing it for a while, it tends to get a little bit loose and, and not as tight as it needs to be. Right. And sometimes you just have to kick it a little bit and 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 you you know I, I kind of push the envelope on a play to see what it'll hold okay you know because if you're doing a long run of something you're you 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 you, you can't let it get stale so you have to see emotionally where how much it'll hold yeah um in a movie uh you know if if you're doing a large role in the movie, you're carrying the film. You're, you're, yeah. you, so you're once again responsible for what you're responsible for the camera time, and also you know why certain scenes are there. You know, in terms of storytelling, what 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 needs to happen in those scenes yeah. in order to tell that story. If you're coming in to do a smaller role, then it's important to, I think, to just know your place. Right and and to and to um, show up and stay out of the way and um, uh, if if you're doing a series and you're only coming in for uh, one episode, you're not the star. You're mm. coming in to do your job, but you have to fit into what what the the, the machine that's already running and not be and expect people to be really pally with you. Yeah, you know, you yeah. just it, it becomes more of a job. Um, in terms of a, a, a larger artist, I, I mean, it, it, 
maybe this is another way to look at it. In, 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 the, in the several disciplines, and there are many actually disciplines in acting, you know, but the primary ones are plays and television and film, right? Right. So in a play, a play is an actor's medium because once you've rehearsed, then you're responsible for creating that on a daily basis eight times a week. Right. So no one, no one's telling you to stop. You have to tell the arc of that story the entire time. So it's an actor's medium. Okay. Mo television is is a showrunner's writer's medium ultimately because they're the only one who's really consistent throughout that storytelling process. Because actors will come and go in a series. Okay. Um, directors will come and go. Yeah. Um, oftentimes. But it's the showrunner, the show creator that has the great vision that will be the will be the executive producer and really have a hands-on deal on how that goes. And then the actor fix, fix, fits in there somewhere. In movies, it's a director's and editor's medium because mm -hmm. an editor can take away your performance. Right. Or, or, or enhance it. Or enhance it. Yeah. And... <clears throat> and um, you have no control over, you know, they, they say that you do, uh, you make a film three times. Because it's first you write it, that's one, right. and then the second time you shoot it, and the third time you make it is in the editing room. Yeah. And you, and as an actor, you have no control over that unless you're the producer. Wow. Well, that's a beautiful analogy. So you have theater as the actor's medium, mm -hmm. then you have TV as the writer's medium, mm -hmm. and then you have film, which is the director and editor's medium. Yeah. yeah that's really nice. Yeah. So, talk about art because I mean we've had um, we we've worked on Frostbite together, and this mm -hmm. is how we know it's your movie coming up, and we've had a lot of great conversations. And you're quite a spiritual person, or quite um, a well trained actor, and it's mm -hmm. a beautiful thing to have, be able to work with you. And I know we've 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 had some debates and dialogues about scripts. And mm -hmm. what's your what's your process? When you get a script, is there anything you do, you know, I mean, you have a lot of people that are, you know, Strasbourg Method or like myself, Stella Adler or Meisner, and we have specific blueprints in how we start a script off. You know, for, for some of the acting nerds out there, do you have a process? Is there something that you stick to? <laughs> yeah, it's a smorgasbord. A smorgasbord. Okay. It is, because it's, I mean, I, I studied method acting in, in theater school. Um, but... I, I think that the the further you go or the longer you're in it, you learn a lot from other actors just in conversation. How do they approach stuff? Because there are different challenges. Yeah. And being an actor now is different than it was 20 years ago, I think, in terms of demand of what you need to do and how quick you need to move in this in this business now. Because, you know, we didn't have self-tapes. We didn't have, um, uh, we didn't have the various disciplines that we have now. There was right. no gaming. There was no, you know. So, I, t to answer your question, I, I think fundamentally, uh, the, I, the, I try different processes in, in, until something sticks. Right. Um, I, I, because every once in a while, I think you go, get to a point, and I was actually feeling that <laughs> this week. I don't know shit. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, that that I've learned a lot, but I've also forgotten a lot. 
Right. And sometimes you just need to be reminded. And also, styles of acting have changed too. I mean, and what you, the way you're going to to perform at the national is not going to be the way you perform in front of a camera. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, my my film acting was all self-taught. Right. You know, by by talking to a lot of people and and just uh, practicing as much as I could um, to to learn the technique. Yeah. Uh, um, but there's also within the you know there's sort of subgenres in in that in everything. I mean, it, it depends on on the like you can do mumbling acting or you can you know which can be very effective on what I call mumbling acting you know where you can barely hear the actor yeah. talking to you opposite you it's like <laughs> but it looks great on camera right? yeah because yeah. they're mic'd um but I, I i just try to i try to break it down and ask myself questions what you you have to you have to establish where you are and and and, and make it make um uh, connections, personal connections, wherever you can, something that makes sense, right. something that helps you tell the story, whether it's from your own life uh, or for something you know. Yeah. Um, also, I think as I've gotten older, I know why scenes are there. Right. So if I get, if you're talking about an audition, and we've talked about this, there are certain things you, you, you know, the, you try to grab every piece of information out of that scene yeah. in order to try to make it work. Yeah. Because it, it isn't, especially television and, and film, it's not always well written. Right. So you have to figure out how to make it work. And every, I, th I, I think people who are non-actors don't understand this. Every time you do a script, it's different. It's a, the, the script yeah. demands, dictates what kind of process you're going to have. Of course, yeah. And I think, you know, like going back to what you said, you know, Stella used to say um, she didn't like the term actor she mm -hmm. she taught that we should be um called script interpreters mm -hmm. because that's yeah. our job fundamentally we Fundamental. are supposed to interpret these scripts and i think the best part of any process is the script analysis right i mean yeah. you can you can do whatever you want about you know the given circumstances everything but you need to know the given circumstances you know you, you need to, you can add anything else onto your method but unless you know what that script is nothing is gonna that's the foundation yeah and i think yeah i think that's that's a really good point um but a lot of actors that i've worked with don't do any kind of script analysis that i know of i mean really? the, yeah i mean i've had actors say to me god you really tear apart scripts more than i ever do i've had actors say that to me yeah and and, and you know if in if you're doing if you're doing for instance criminal minds for 15 years I mean it's going to be the same story over and over right. again so it's not like you're going to have to go through a lot of analysis after a while yeah. because you're you know you know it and they're writing towards your strengths if you're yeah. doing if you're doing Especially a series okay. you know because then they're if you're doing a comedy like a sitcom they're going to be writing to your strengths as well right you know so it becomes the job becomes easier I think one of the greatest things you were touched on and I think it's so helpful for, for actors is the audition process mm -hmm. in the sense of you need to know that what why the scenes are there. Right. Right? And you need to know, you need to understand, you know, what's the point of this scene? 
as an audition. Right. You know, and sometimes we can overcomplicate it and we want yeah. to put a lot of acting out and yeah. we want to showcase our acting ability because that's what we think right. will get us the part. Right. But often times not, they want to be able to see if you can just be normal. Yeah. Because you need to fit your place. You need to you need to know your role. Right. You you're a small part, you're gonna come on, you're gonna do a small part, right? Right. So but it's interesting that you say, do, do would you think that more often than not people don't do their script work? I'm not saying that they don't. I'm just saying that I probably overcomplicate things all the time. Right. You know, and I think that some people just kind of, they read it, they don't think too much about it, and they just do it. I mean, yeah. they just memorize the lines and they do it. And they don't, I mean, if, there are a lot of people more in Los Angeles, I think, than anywhere else um, that I've experienced is that there are, I've, I've met actors who, who are series regulars and they have zero training. Right. So what they're doing doing is that they, they, they're doing what got them there. And it was their, you know, they, they looked right and they, you know, they can memorize the script and, and they can hit their mark and, or not. And they, and they you know, it, it's, I think the challenge for them will be to continue their career. After right. the series ends, yeah, or whatever, you know, because they may, it, you know, it's very natural behavior, and they do what they do. Yeah. You know, they don't have a wide range, but it may be real sellable, and they may be. Uh, a, as one actor once said to me, I asked Robert Vaughn. Do you know Robert? Robert Vaughn. Vaughn yeah. yeah, I did a play with him. And you know he was in the Magnificent Seven, and he was the man from Uncle, and he yeah. was you know he was he, he had had a big career, and I was doing a play in Florida with him, and I asked him, I said, you know what what do you think it is about about stardom, whatever, and he said, um, fuckability. And what he meant by that was, <laughs> you know, if if to be a successful TV person, you have to invite them into your house on a weekly basis or now it's streaming but you know when in the in the old days in the older days when it was just network television you know you'd have to make an you know before even before vcrs you had to make an appointment to be there in front of your tv so it's right. it, it's a likability factor yeah right um and in television that it's more of a familiar you're someone's inviting inviting you into their home on a weekly basis right um you know, so it's that that isn't about acting. Yeah, and I mean, all power to those people that can book those parts and yeah. basically playing themselves. It's just, you know, for that you need to understand what it is. You're playing yourself. You're you're selling yourself, and you're gonna get a lot of money hopefully doing it. Right. Yeah, and and Vaughn also told me a great story about Steve McQueen because he did Bullet. Yeah. Robert Bowen was in Bullet. And he told me this story where um, the very end of the movie, there was a one-page monologue that McQueen was going to do, that was written for him to do. McQueen looked at the script, looked at the monologue, ripped the page out of the script and said, I'll do it with a look. Wow. He knew who he was and he yeah. knew what his power was. And he knew that he could, and he did. And that's beautiful to be able to be there in your career, right? Well, yeah, and 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 to to have that 
aware self-awareness of of you know or or it was arrogance one or the other and he did you know but the Maybe point was he was the same or both i mean he was you know he was a huge star yeah. huge star right i remember you talking to me about one time we were looking at an audition and we were talking about uh, the rhythm mm-hmm. you were saying yeah uh, when you did a uh, pale mm-hmm. um you were uh you got the rhythm, which was jazz. Yeah, it's a jazz rhythm, and I, I really like that analogy. So, do, do you do, do you apply this kind of rhythm to all your scripts? You need to figure out a rhythm. No, of, no, right. because I think I, burn this, which is the play you're yeah. talking about. What, what demanded? It was a huge role, and 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 it. It's not that I was. You try to find the rhythm and how to, you know, Pale comes on stage and basically has a monologue for six pages. Mm. And um, finding a way to, 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 to make it work, you know, you just keep hammering the lines and, and finally, it, you know, in these passages, you, you find a rhythm on how, you, how it'll play. Um, I don't necessarily look for rhythm. I look for rhythm in plays more just because you have more time. Right, you have you have a month to live with it, and so you are. And the emphasis is on the on the words, really. So um, you know, and I think we talked about Mamet too, and and yeah. you know, because I did um, uh, one of his plays, and and um, Mamet's was an entirely different rhythm. But if you played the rhythm, it's, there were there were times and scenes if you just played because there were a lot of interruptions. Yeah. Then you just played the rhythm, and that and that actually did your work for you, right? But uh, I I love the analogy because it's like a nearly like a dance, you know, an argument between a couple is a rhythm, mm-hmm. and once you get that rhythm, it's a, it's a dance and it's a dangerous dance, yes, it but is. it's a dance, you know. And I really think that analogy is a, it's a nice thing to. Well, look and at. it's all. I mean, it's also it's it's it, as you said, it's a dance. So if you look at ballet, it's the same thing. You're talking about rhythms. You're talking about it's mm. not just the expression of the of the of of how you you know the line of the of the uh, uh, dancer, for instance. But it's it's also just the combination of the music and the yeah. And then there's that emotional thing. Of, and that goes to show how much we can actually learn from other art forms, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how important is it for you to to be a, an admirer of different arts? Well, I, I I think it's very important. I mean, it's my wife and I go to a lot of museums. Yeah. Um, more at her behest than mine. I mean, it's it, uh, not that I don't enjoy it, but I mean, she's she's a real big art aficionado, and um, it's important to expose yourself just to different viewpoints and and, mm. and also. Um, you know, I I don't go to the theater as much as I like. Um, partly because I I, um, I just I'm more of a TV and film guy. I mean, in, just in terms of what I enjoy. Right. Um, I, I mean, I used I grew up wanting to be a theater actor, and then after a while, I was like, you know what, I want to do TV. And you film. fell in love with. Well, I, I like them all for the different disciplines. You know, yeah. just like we said. You know, because it's still the actor's medium. But I think it's important to try. Yeah, I mean, I I listen to a lot of music. I mean, I'm inspired by that. So, yeah. um, uh, because there's on a good song, there's a great emotional arc in it. Yeah. And if you can tap into that, because it's basically poetry. Yeah. Lyrics, you know, matched with you know this kind of history music, and music. yeah, there's there's so much. Who would, who inspires you? And that's a, I know that's a vague question, but I want it to be vague because I want to just to. 
inspires me just in general? Who inspires you to to do what you do? I mean, you could have an inspiration from an actor to want to tell stories or maybe a political figure or a person to want to be a better well, person. Well, I, I got to say that the person that's been most consistent in my life in terms of inspiring me is Bruce Springsteen. Oh, okay. Because I grew up in Philadelphia. I discovered him very early um, between his first and second album, so in 1975. Because the second, he made it first big in New York, or started making a name for himself in New York, and then Jersey and New York. Right. And then Philadelphia was second. And I remember a live concert being broadcast, um, and I actually had a tape recorder, one of those mono tape recorders, Sony tape recorders with the big fat buttons, the, right? Yeah, like every, every like old school movie. Where well, they, yeah, they I mean, on. yeah, it was like a brick <laughs> and you just place and I put it in front of this, the, this console stereo that my parents had and I taped that concert and it's become a legendary concert actually because of that broadcast. Wow. It was, a, but, and it was from a small club in Philadelphia called the main point, which I've been to or was at. And um, it was uh, before he really hit it big. It's before Born to Run, right? So, um, but the reason it, the reason he inspired, there's a couple of people that inspire me, I, and they've been mostly musicians, and I don't really know why, except that if you, the thing about Springsteen, it's a well-examined life, and he's examined his whole life, and is and the kind of his, his own path. Of, of maturity and politics and personal interpersonal relationships and he sung about that and dug deep and as he talks about how he always writes about people who are in, in peril in a way whether it's emotional peril or mm-hmm. or or so and so yeah it, it, it it's I know you know I know there are a lot of people that don't like him but I, but I, the integrity that he has as an artist I think has yeah. been really extraordinary. Dylan's arc in career is astonishing. Go ahead. No, I was about to say, for me, um, I love storyteller singers, you know, like like Bruce and like Bob Dylan. Yeah. Because I've always said, I don't think Bob Dylan is the greatest vocal singer, but I think he's so poetically beautiful at making making stories. Well, and the, the, the... The other thing that that I admire out of someone like Springsteen and and Dylan and and other artists is the sustainability of that career. Right. Springsteen has been has been extremely singular in terms of the consistency of his work. Um, And Dylan has had just that his staying power has been tremendous. Yeah, he's taken detours and stuff, but I mean, he's he, he's gotten a lot of praise for you know the, some albums that he's done in the last ten years. And the guy's in his seventies. Yeah. Um, and Springsteen's new album is is you know pretty remarkable. So the it, it it's the ability to examine and be aware of what they do, and and I think that. What inspires me is not just, it, it's not the fame, it, it's the craft. Right. It's the, the because when it, when it comes to acting, the only thing we have control over is, is the amount of work we put in and what our expectation is of ourselves. Because you don't have, 
you, you're oftentimes as an actor at the end of the information chain. Yeah. And you are you have very little control over what you do. You know, Springsteen said, and I, you know, I wish I had really kind of been more aware when I was younger. He said he had to be self-contained as an artist, ultimately. And that's why he went through an early fight to get his the rights back to his, his music that had been signed away very early on. Mm. Um, but also he is a self-sustained business. Right. That... Um, Everything he does is is contained. He, he's in control of it, right? Um, and he's, you know, it was him and the guitar, and Dylan also has been basically in control of of, of the arc of his career in in many ways. So um, there are other, you know, there's certainly people in our business who are that, and I admire them, and they inspire me too. Yeah. you know. Um, but it, it's I'm often inspired by writers who do that, and you know who 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 come with the complete vision of of what they're doing, or even filmmakers like Kubrick. Or um, I will tell you that up close, the 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 thing that inspired me uh, in terms of work was uh, Denis Villeneuve, when I did because uh, I did Blade Runner twenty forty nine, a very small part yeah. of it, but watching watching the level the depth of creativity. Within that, that, and that's all. That that was Roger Deakins. It was him, uh, Denny. It was the it was the pre production, the layer of storytelling, yeah. the look of it, the um, the. Uh, it was just very impressive, uh, and and enlightening at the same time. <clears throat> Must be such a surreal thing to do, the second Blade Runner. I mean, mm. the first Blade Runner was yeah, just. Phenomenal, yeah. you know. Yeah, and I know you. Um, you love uh, a Clockwork Orange, yep. right? And, and, and Space Odyssey. When you watch those first, I mean, is that the type of movies that you're like, "Wow, I'd love to be a part of this." Well, sure. I mean, it, it's it's. I mean, I I discovered uh, Clockwork Orange made me want to be an actor. Ultimately, boom. That's it. That's okay. what made you want to be an actor. Um, but it's also because of the, once again the depth of storytelling, right? within that and in, in, in the performances and the way it was shot and everything about it was really you know it caught me just like Teen Wolf catches people or you know at the yeah, right yeah. time that caught me when I was 18 years old but it's such a funny one right because the, 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 the writer initially had a, a, a whole different ending where yeah I he was he I've was, never read it yeah but no nobody it was a huge bust it was it was so badly uh, received because the ending basically was he 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 went back to his old ways, and then yeah. for some reason I can't remember why he decided for himself mm -hmm. that he was going to change, and yeah. that's what the the writer wanted the 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 show, and nobody picked up on it, and then his agent cut out the other, uh, mm -hmm. the the last chapter, and it went a huge success. Mm -hmm. How is that a? I mean, for for an artist like a writer, that that must be such a hard pill to swallow. I mean, this is what I wanted to tell, but I'm. It's more successful in a way that I didn't see it. Yeah. And do you think for for writers, for even actors, it's always good to have a second opinion or have someone else look at it through a different lens? Sure. But for me, I know it's so hard to, uh, you know, I'm a bit of a control freak. Mm -hmm. And I, I see my, my going a certain way and it's hard for me to adjust to... A friend coming in and saying, "Oh, let's. I think it's actually better if you don't do that, right?" 
I learned early, not early, not early enough, but I can remember when I was a younger actor, I was very sure of my own convictions, right. and I would fight to the death for yeah. my for my decision. Then I realized um, I can remember the first soap opera I did, which was not first, but the first contract role I did was *The Edge of Night*, which was a half-hour show, and it was and was shot in New York. And one of my directors was directing me very early on in that. I was, I was out of school for what, a year, a year and a half out of university? And I, he said to me, okay, in rehearsal, he said, I want you to, on that line, I want you to cross from there to, to over there. And I said, what's my motivation? And he just calmly said to me, your paycheck. <laughs> That's a great one. Now, he had come from, he, his directing chops were done from sports. He came from sports to direct soap operas. Right. So I wouldn't say that he was the greatest at understanding what actors do right. or how they work. But that being said, um, as I got older, I realized that I didn't know everything and that, yeah. that I can have a strong conviction, but I may be blind in other areas. Mm. So I will always try something now that someone suggests because um, I just may not see it. Yeah. We, we have a thing when I was training in the Adler Academy, it's never marry your choices. Yeah. never marry your choices but I think for every actor it's such a it's it's so hard to discipline yourself to do that because you just have these instincts and that you just believe oh this is a great way of doing it but like you said the reason that the director's there now is because we have a certain way of looking at things but I think overall there's another way to do things and there's another way to see things and there's another the thing is the audience sees it differently than I see it well, there, yes, and, and also, if you're working in film, and if you're doing something like soap operas, you are not playing an arc. You are playing middles. You're always in the middle of a story. They won't, they won't tell you where the story's going. So you're constantly playing a middle. If you're doing a play, you're building an arc from the beginning to the end, right? right. You're telling that story every day or every night, right? So you have to tell the entire story every night. So what you, one of the things that you learn is the arc of that journey and, and how you get from the you know, opening line to the last line. In, in, if you're doing soap operas, you do, you, you, you're stuck in constant middles. And then if you are a... If you're do, if you're coming in to do a supporting role in the film, uh, if you're if you're you, you still there there's a there's a place where you fit in because it's still not your story. You may have a story arc, yeah, but it, but it's still not your story. It's a lead story. And if you're coming in to do a day player, you're simply there as a function to do it well. But but I mean you're you're helping tell the, someone else's story at the right. end of the day. Yeah. Or, or, you're, or you may be telling, in the TV series, you may be part of the C story of the script. Not the A, A storyline, not the B storyline, but the C one. Right. So it's just a little snippet. So it all, you know, it, 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 it's, you just kind of have to know where you are. And, and, and you're also not going to get a whole lot of help on TV either. Right. You know, a lot of directors, because they, you know, yeah. they won't even talk to you. So how... How do you prepare for TV? I mean, with theater, you have a month's rehearsal. You don't get much rehearsal, right, on TV or on film. You just have to be what they've hired you to be. Yeah. Right. Well, and 
You have to, I think you have to do a lot of your own work. I mean, you know, it, it's, you have to know your lines, you have to be ready to go. And, you know, if you can, if you get the opportunity to run the lines, that's great. You don't always. Hmm. Uh, most of the time, you know, actors are good, you know, because, because any actor who's been around knows the value of making sure that it all works. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, you adjust to the situation. Right. You know, and, and each each set is going to be different and each rehearsal process will be different. You know, when I did, for instance, when I did Pale and Burn This, the director, after the after he directed, he, he, he turned to me and said, this rehearsal period has been the way it always should be and never is. Because it, the way it was structured, the way all of us participated, it was the perfect rehearsal structure. Right. Well, right, so question. If you weren't an actor, what do you think you would do? What would you be? What, what kind of profession would you have? My wife thinks I should be a therapist. A therapist? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Do, do you see that? Oh, I know what you mean, too. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, I think I can see that too. Yeah. I mean, you're so easy to talk to, and you 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 have um, a nurturing. You have such a nurturing soul. It's a, it's a beautiful thing to be able to. You're approachable, mm-hmm. and I think that's that's great for for acting because I know when we did Frostbite together, it was it was so amazing having such a seasoned actor, such a, a strong skilled actor to to speak with me and to 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 help me out and to to mentor me, but to have the same. You know, to, to speak with me on, on the level of an actor, you know, not look down on me or not think any any less of me and have these profound conversations. And I'm so grateful for that. I'm so grateful we're doing it now. I mean, you're such a, a great character to speak with. Well, th- thank you for that. Thank you for your kind words. The reason I'm that way is because I when I was in your shoes, I was bugging older actors to, to demystify some things for me. Right. And um, people who I admired, and yeah. people who, um, like I, I, I'm sure I mentioned them to you. You know, one of the, the the first job, first professional job when I did My Old Man with Chris May Nickel, the guy who played my father was Joseph Maher, or in, ah in, yes, and and you know who was who did a lot of series. He's passed away, but he. He, he was one of my mentors, and I always kind of badgered him about things. So I know what that's like. Yeah. And I, and I, I also think that um, because of my own life history, you know, there, I've come to a point where I, I try to, to um, I don't know if I have any great wisdom, but I but I think I'm I've just sort of gotten to the point where it, it's just easier to just exchange ideas, you know, and and, and don't have. We're we're all in it together, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's and it's uh, and that that's the only way to be. Yeah. yeah, but I think you know, like great ideas oftentimes can be the simple ones, mm-hmm. exchanging ideas. Yeah. It's a beautiful content because I can learn from you too. You see, yeah. Because it, it yeah. and and recognize it. I can remember there was a point in um, I hadn't worked. This is years ago. I hadn't. Wor- I'd, I'd gone without work for a very long time, and then I got hired to do my last soap, um, which was uh, um, 
One Life to Live in New York. I moved from L.A. to go go do it in New York. And um, I remember going in there and go, you know, I hadn't worked in a long time. I'm gonna, I'm just going to put any kind of attitude aside. All I want to do is work. And I will look to the 16-year-old little starlet to the older. I'll try to learn from every single person because I haven't worked in so long. Right. What, what, what I, I must not know as much as I thought I did. Yeah. And I did. I learned a lot from those, from everyone. Do you have like a proud moment? What like what would be one of your proudest moments in your careers? In terms of what? Um. In terms of like, I would like to say achievement, but I think I think you know achievement for yourself innerly, like what you're like. Oh, I really am so happy with how this came out. Or what I did there. You're talking about a, a finished performance. Are you talking about just life experience? I, I think I'd like to... I think yes for both. Is there a yes for both? Yeah. I, I Burn This was a huge achievement for me, even though I did it you know, in a regional theater. But it was yeah. a really good production. And, you know, Lanford Wilson, the writer, came to see it and said, I got stuff that Malkovich didn't get right. on Broadway. That was a very big compliment to me. Yeah. Um, and it, 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 I proved something to myself on that. Right. I learned an enormous amount having to, to, to do a play of that length. It was a three-hour yeah. play. And a very high energy. Yeah, very, very high energy. And, and yeah, and, but, but it taught me a great deal. Um, you know, there, there are other things that I've been happy to have been a part of, you know, being at the National and watching, being a part of, even as an understudy, being a part at the National of, of, of Angels was, was really fascinating. Right. And I learned a lot there, too. Yeah. Um, I always like it when I learn something. Um, it's not... And, and, and I... And I I think when you see the the rewards, the the fruits of your of, of your your hard work, it, it's good. But I, I I don't I I guess I've always been it's it's hard for me to answer this question because it's not about fame and it's not about money mm. and it's it, it's about the work. Yeah. For me, and and it's really kind of nerdy stuff that will get me excited you know when you crack something when you yeah. crack a scene when you when you when you crack a pass, passage yeah. you go oh that's what it is and it, it, sometimes it can happen at the most weirdest times right yeah. you're talking with a conversation and then out of nowhere that's it yeah i have it i realize what what it means and yeah i, I would say the same for, for those who are listening burn this is an absolutely beautiful play and everyone should read it to yeah. know what you're talking about, it's yeah. it's a phenomenal play, play about grief, about, uh, about forgiveness in a way, about about coming to terms with yourself. Yeah, and it's uh, it really is a beautiful play. So, if you are listening to this, check it out. It's a it's a brilliant brilliant play, and uh, it was Malkovich right? His yeah, first start in Broadway. Yeah, I saw him doing on Broadway. You took over for Malkovich. No, I didn't. No, he, he did it on Broadway. I did it in the first regional production oh, after okay. Broadway. Right. So it was a small theater in upstate New York and Capital Rep, um, but it was it was a 
it was a beautiful play when I saw it on Broadway. It yeah. was even more, you know, once again, it was one of those things to be inside that play mm. was really remarkable. I've been in plays where, you know, after two weeks of running it, you go, is this all there is in this play? Right. Oh, dear, and I got another four weeks yeah. to go. Shit. <laughs> I've had that happen uh, and that's where the professionalism comes in yeah how how do you stay professional I remember when I because I had fun when I was in a rap company we were doing Shakespeare it was great but you have to keep yourself entertained when you're touring around the country you have mm-hmm. to it's great when you have you know great castmates who are who are like family but yeah. also you have to you have to hook back into that professional thing okay we had fun I know this is our one hundred time doing it, but this is their first time seeing it, right? Right. So is there is there a way to, or do you just have to sit yourself down and say, "This again, we have to go back." Well, I th- I think it 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 it's precisely that, which is this may be the first time anyone's ever seeing this. You know, yeah. You have to just assume that, and I think that, um, I think Springsteen said, "You'll go out there and recognize that there's there may be one person out there who's never heard his music before." Right. So um, it's also, I think, like being a, anything that you do, it, it's, it's self-integrity. It's your own integrity that's at stake. I don't, I, I, I feel it's, it, that's my job. It's, it, it's, it's to give as much as I can yeah. to making it the best experience I can make it, to be true to the text, to be true to the audience in that regard. Right. I take it too seriously, I think, sometimes. <laughs> take it too seriously and then life is serious and then we die. Yeah. Yeah. No, but I, I, I agree. I think, you know, it is important to, to to be serious. You know, it's important to play and to enjoy our, our craft. We get to go to work, we get to play, we get to celebrate life, we get to experience yeah. all these things, but we also have to be serious. I think there is... A great responsibility on us to tell this person's story who wrote this down. I think often, especially in theater, you know, mm-hmm. the writer's god. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. we really need to honor that that yeah. story. So. Um, well, because it's because there there are playwrights who will not tolerate you screwing around with their work, and yeah. why should they? Why should they? That's the hundred yeah. percent. It's a responsibility mean, to them. Yeah. yeah. I think I think for an actor, it's it's, it's a great. Um, tool to write your own work mm-hmm. not even if you're not a great writer just to understand what it's like to create something yeah and then you know give that baby off to someone else and yeah. hope they don't destroy it and i've seen, heard it so many times where people have wrote a story and people have changed the ending mm-hmm. and it's it's a heartbreaking thing and i think you know i'd love to get a few writers on because i think they are like actors in a lot of regards because they don't have a lot of control sometimes well, in Hollywood, they really do, yeah. and 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 I know there are a lot of writers who who really hate, you know, be, you know, they'll sell a script which they really like, but then it, the the script will go through all kinds of rewrites, and and yeah. by the time it gets to the end of it, it's not what they what they created, and it's heartbreaking. Yeah, for them. Yeah. Mark, thank you so much. I thank mean, you. I could talk to you all day. I don't want to mm-hmm. keep you here, though. You'll, You'll be sleeping on the couch if I keep you much longer. But, I mean, it's absolutely always wonderful to talk to you. It's always wonderful to talk acting. And I think I could do it for four more hours. <laughs> but I have to release you. Otherwise, people will think, your wife will think that I have you as a hostage. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you for so much for going on. 
One last question. Do yeah. you have any sage piece of advice or any words of wisdom for anyone listening out here? Whether they're actors or anyone that would need some advice. Just, I don't know that I do, except that you just just try to be as consi- consistent as possible, you know, and don't beat yourself up too much. I know I do. But I, I mean, we're, we we only can do the best we can and, and you know, take advantage of the, the times you are working and really honor that, you know, because there are a lot, you know, there's 50 other people who auditioned for the role that yeah. didn't get it. So, um, you know, and, and, and you know, re- try to go through your work with, with personal integrity. And, I, you know, the nicest people that I, you know, the, the, the most successful people I've ever met are usually the nicest people I've ever met, you know, because of, yeah, they're easy with it, themselves about it and they understand how difficult it is. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. There's so many talented people on Understudy. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. I really hope you enjoyed that episode. Let us know if you did or if you didn't on our Instagram understudied underscore podcast it's also the best way to find out when our next episodes are being released too so please give us a follow our next episode is going to be really great i have a great friend of mine on her name is davale she's a producer that makes a lot of documentaries and feature films and we get to chat about producing and what it's like to be a woman in the industry which is great for me to learn and to understand so please tune in next week have a great day you beautiful bastards